0: I came just yesterday. It's made all as I learned. The emptiness of life exam. Time can't be.
1: Hello, out there, and welcome to another episode of Things I Learned while learning other things. This is an attempt by me, Joe Moran, and my brother, J.S., to provide you with a series of interesting, informative, educational, and yes, we hope enjoyable stories that will help you navigate through those high seas of life. Today, we introduce Trial of the Century, Part 5. Clarence Darrow reappears in Chicago. And so we continue with the story of the trial of the century, the murder trial of the 20th century involving Leopold and Loeb by establishing that their father's retaining of the famed defense counsel, attorney Clarence Darrell, would not necessarily assure that both boys wouldn't find themselves beneath the gallows floor, victims of the hangman's noose. For Clarence Darrow had seen his client Patrick Prendergast suffer just such a fate 30 years previously after Darrow had failed in his efforts to prevent Prendergast's conviction for murdering the mayor of Chicago after he had been denied a job within the city administration. And as a result, Prendergast was hanged. Post-Prendergast, Darrow had stepped up to take on another high-profile defendant in a Chicago case, and that too proved to be a body blow for the famous defense counsel. Uh, Prendergast may have been a goner, but Chicago had not seen the last of Clarence Darrell, nor of violence, um, which would serve to lure to Chicago once again Clarence Darrell, for the defense, only a year after the Prendergast trial, a trial in which he would defend labor leader Eugene Debs. And labor leader Eugene Debs had inspired 250,000 union workers in 27 states to cease working in support of a strike against the Pullman Company, a railroad that carried U.S. mail west of the Mississippi River, and this would matter a lot. Eugene Debs um, was one of America's most popular labor leaders and one of the 20th century's foremost American socialists and a true working class hero. He was a committed Marxist, and Debs was convinced nothing short of strident political actions in the form of large publicized strikes and labor protests might result in any significant improvement of of laborers conditions for the common working man and the only means by which to possibly weaken or break what he saw as the institutional system-wide exploitation of the common working man in the face of overwhelming, uh, monopolizing, big business dominance and riches. And Debs had framed his no-nonsense argument to a very receptive audience consisting of blue-collar laborers, and his message was, you are striking to avert slavery and degradation. These our strong terms. And it definitely was taken for what it was, a call to action, a message explosive by design. It was a dynamite argument and true or untrue, accurate or inaccurate, it didn't really matter as Debs wholeheartedly believed it was true and his audience was with and believed in Eugene Debs. And Eugene and, and union members, they trusted um, Debs to the same degree that they distrusted their employers. Of this there was no doubt. But President Grover Cleveland's administration, however, would never, never allow an interruption in the delivery. Uh, service of the US mail west of the Mississippi River and they obtained an abjunction prohibiting any strike of the Pullman Company. But union workers in defiance of the injunction struck the company anyway and and took to the streets in protest. as as these situations often prove volatile in nature, it was not surprising that violence soon, broke out. I mean, some some may equate this situation to like the, uh, the 2020 George Floyd, you know, like protests, social justice inaction and all that. But I don't equate these two incidents. No, I don't. What they do have in common, however, is that when full scale riots break out, when violence is rampant and people are dying, protest simply doesn't appear to be the proper descriptive term for what is actually taking place. Something was happening here. What it was ain't exactly clear. Well, you you get the idea. The president ordered the U.S. Army troops into the cities to quell the violence and restore order. Before the weekend was over, however, the U.S. Army had done what armies throughout history, across the world, have always done when they are ordered to resolve conflict. They shoot people. That's what soldiers do, and that's what they did. And when the smoke cleared, 30 strikers lay dead in the streets, 13 in Chicago alone. I mean, you know the tune, thousand people on the street singing, hey, hey, what's that sound? Well, what's that sound? It's Chicago, so it's perfectly clear. That sound was gunfire. It was Chicago, for God's sakes. So, Eugene Debs, he was arrested, convicted, and wound up imprisoned, held responsible for inciting the violence and civil commotion following the massive strike, and charged with multiple crimes related to defying of that government injunction against union workers striking Pullman. And it was in this situation that Clarence Darrow had once again been retained to defend a very, very unpopular defendant. And Debs Debs wound up sentenced to prison. Darrell was committed to Debs and the labor cause, and he would continue to fight this case. Yes, he would. He would fight it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, where Debs and Darrell not only lost their case, but found themselves on the wrong side of a unanimous adverse U.S. Supreme Court decision. That's how bad it was. But post 19th century, you know, socialist uprisings across all Europe put down by and only after violence uh, in the years and the decades that were leading up to the First World War and later post the Russian bolshevik revolution and the aftermath of the first red scare i mean the conflict between the two forces you know the middle class the owners of capital big business and those desirous of maintaining the capitalist status quo and those firmly committed to the belief that workers were being exploited these two sides were increasingly in serious conflict And the entire concept of what was the American ideal was in question. And violence was bound to break out at some point. And and when it did, Eugene Debs had found himself right at the center of things. Darrow tried to help Debs, but he'd failed. And he left and licked his wounds. He had to. And despite suffering those two big losses in prominent legal battles in Chicago, the Prendergast case and the Debs case, Chicagoans would find that they had not seen the last of Clarence Darrow. He'd be back. It might take him a while um, to find the right fight, the right case, the right cause at the right time. But Clarence Darrow's dramatic oratorical performances would be heard again in Chicago. That was for sure. Decades later, you know, it's kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger, that slob. You know, 30 years later, you know, unlike Elvis Presley, who would, would always be reported Elvis had left the building, well, Clarence Darrow would reappear on stage again in Chicago he was back. You know, sort of like General Douglas MacArthur two decades later, whom so dramatically informed the besieged Filipinos under Japanese onslaught as he got out of Dodge, actually Corregidor, in a motorboat, I shall return. And so it was that Clarence Darrell returned again in defense of intensely unpopular defendants, Nathan Leopold, and Richard Loeb, whom had been arrested for and confessed to the May 1924 murder, the barbaric murder of 14-year-old Bobby Franks, a neighbor to both defendants and a cousin of Richard Loeb's. As As details of the kidnapped murder were released to the public, the entire nation was stunned, horrified, but riveted by newspaper accounts of the heinous nature and absolute barbarity of this crime and the reported lack of any remorse, any remorse whatsoever, on the part of the self confessed admitted thrill killers. Their trial would be. And, and 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 had to be could be nothing other than a massive newsworthy spectacle, the kind of high pro- profile case that Clarence Darrell admittedly, he loved. He loved to be involved, where every flaw in human nature would be exposed, examined up close, and written about in the most lurid of terms. And if one if one has read Fyodor Dostoevsky, one knows justice demands punishment be imposed, but must be in proportion to the magnitude of the crime that has been committed. But if, if one's read enough, Dostoevsky, it should be clear that justice is a, is a hazy concept. And the definition of what constitutes crime, well, well, that's a debatable matter. Crime and punishment are often unrelated. They prove unrelated. And the nation's press, the American press, was prowling about now. Werewolves, vampires with a taste for blood, knives out, and they're being sharpened. Death by a thousand cuts, the objective. It's better to keep the host bodies of Leopold and Loeb and their families alive for as long as possible. Leopold and Loeb and their families' lives would be skewered, shredded, cut to pieces, their entrails smoked and devoured aztecs aztecs would would have been proud of what's going on altars were set up it was to be a feast marrow sucked from their bones this was a newspaper publishers dream story come true there would be there would be much blood in the waters the sharks were already circling menacingly and into this into this nightmare walked Clarence Darrow willingly. And and I don't know if Clarence Darrow had ever studied European history uh, or French history or... uh, But he was an extremely broad-minded, well-read man, that is for sure. But if Darrow had read history, he would have been familiar with the Red Eminence, you know, Cardinal Richelieu, whom had done so much in the early 17th century to aid the rise of France to power and eminence in European affairs. And and if Darrow was familiar with the Red Eminence, he would have been aware of two statements of the cardinal that had e- equal application both in the 17th century in France and the Leopold Loeb case three centuries later in Chicago because the cardinal had written his king. Nothing, nothing so upholds the laws as the punishment of persons, whose rank is as great as their crime. Whoa, the, the wealthy Leopold Loeb were certainly going to be on trial in Chicago. And, and furthermore, Cardinal Richelieu had written that the pen is mightier than the sword. Famous words. And Darrow had better hope That the pen proved mightier than the sword because if not, if not, he'd lose another prominent case in a Chicago courtroom and his clients would be sentenced to death for sure. And as he prepared for this case, 30 years after he had lost Prendergast and Debs, reasons for optimism appeared to be between slim and none. That is for sure. Darrow knew when he took, took on this case. Only the strength of his arguments, the pen, stood between his clients, Leopold and Lowe's lives, and the shrieks that called for their blood. And when we return next, we're going to be discussing those two men. Supermen, actually. You'll see the reference when we return. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you'll tune in. Thank you and goodbye.
0: I slip from the harbor head out to the sea crystal. To the wind Taste the sea breeze Tropical heaven On the coral sea A little more I think of my wife What did I do? Have I ruined my life? Tell her I've changed Become a new man I promise I will And I know that I can When did the skies change? When did back. The sea's now boiling and I'm getting cold. I've lost my sails, got to find a way home. Alone in my boat, I think of my wife. I'm lost in a drift on the high seas of life. It is worse than I no control The wind and the waves are taking their toll I look to the stars, there's none I can see I'm afraid fate, she has answered me Only moments my story will end and There was a story I wanted to send Oh, how I dream for the calm the sea. A beautiful face smiling back at me The sea is boiling and I'm getting cold I've lost my sails, got to find a way home When did the skies change, when did they turn black? How am I ever gonna get myself back? Alone in my boat, I think of my wife I'm lost in a drift on the high seas of life When did the skies change, when did they turn back? How am I ever gonna get myself back? Alone in my boat, I think of my wife I'm lost in a drift on the high seas